0: Unconventional Egg is the industry source to discover how to differentiate products and processes and take advantage of emerging markets related to specialty oil seeds, grains, and their byproducts. Happening in Minneapolis, November 29th and 30th, 2022, this conference is a newly refocused event and news platform featuring innovative and emerging value-added opportunities for farmers, grain handlers, processors food marketers, startups, equipment, and technology providers, and more. This is the eighth annual conference, previously titled the Organic and Non-GMO Forum. It's expanding to meet industry needs. For more information and to register, visit unconventionalegg.com. That's unconventionalegg.com. American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. As my listeners know, I love to talk about ag tech and ways to help producers make more profit. And I love talking to inspiring young ag entrepreneurs. My guest today has experience across engineering, management consulting, and international entrepreneurship. She studied chemical engineering at the University of Michigan and received her MBA from Stanford University. She worked in a variety of roles, is committed to agriculture and being a good caretaker of the land. She grew up in Wisconsin, down the street from dairy farms, and that helped her guide her passion for co-founding a company focused on supporting farmers who are tackling emissions from the cattle sector. From Stanford, California, I'd like to welcome Nicole Rojas, co-founder of Lasso. Welcome Nicole, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Christy. I'm
1: so excited to be here, and um, you know, Got connected through World Dairy Expo in Madison, Wisconsin. So like you mentioned, proud cheese head here. So it's great to, you know, come on this podcast um, that I've admired from afar for some time now.
0: That's great. Great to hear. So first of all, uh, tell me a bit about your background. It's it's very um, expansive. It covers a lot of things. So tell me how you got here. Yeah.
1: Um, so like you mentioned, I'm originally from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, I eventually ended up, you know, doing big 10 undergrad with engineering background. So go blue. (laughs) Um, So went to University of Michigan, I was really um, fortunate that early on in my career to have the opportunity for a few years in management consulting to really learn a lot more about what makes a business tick um, across a variety of industries, and primarily for some of the largest corporations in the world. But then on the flip side of that, I've um, also spent time, you know, diving into entrepreneurship. So working at this data analytics startup and getting a sense for small businesses and what their needs are um, and what their interests are. And so a huge range there. And that at the end of the day, this experience at the startup was really the catalyst for my view that I want to start my own company, um, supporting the communities that I care about. So as you mentioned, across my professional experience of engineering consulting and climate, as well as my personal, you know, passion and proud identity as a Wisconsinite. I feel really energized to talk to you today about uh, our startup lasso that's supporting farmers uh, in their on-farm emissions reduction work and making it financially viable and giving them the credit that they deserve for doing that work.
0: Yeah, that that's a good point. It's all about when it comes down to it, it's about the farmer and how we can serve them right? Yes. So how did the idea of Lasso come to fruition then? Yeah.
1: So as you mentioned, I received my MBA from Stanford, Stanford. And so I went back with the intention of, I want to understand a bit more about the intersection of data analytics and climate. So it's a pretty high level, you know, thesis going in, but immediately within the first month, um, I had this light bulb moment where I realized there was this win-win within the cattle, um, specifically dairy sector that I'm focusing on right now is that how do we ensure that you know farming becomes both a financially sustainable business but environmentally sustainable. Um, I'll you know keep talking about this point, but you know at the end of the day that sustainability is not just about environmental but also keeping you know the lights on and being able to pass your farm on to future generations from the generations that have given it to you. Um, And so, you know, it's this idea that you can sustain communities um, and amongst this increasing pressure to address climate uh, climate change. So for me, there was, okay, this was this intersection of this interesting problem to solve, which as a former engineer, I was really, okay, give me a problem that seems unsolvable. (laughs) unsolvable. Um, And And this passion area, like I said, of an industry that's near and dear to my heart. And so um, the rest of my time in grad school, I spent more time looking into the space. And I heard over and over again talking to different stakeholders across the supply chain in both dairy and beef that one of the biggest hurdles into implementing on-farm emissions reduction projects is data. So what I heard over and over again is, look, the last thing I want to do before waking up, you know, before five in the morning, finishing up at 8pm every day is more paperwork, you know, going through my different sources of information and trying to fill in another application, for example. And then the second key thing I heard is, you know, this whole, you know, sustainability space or carbon offsets, carbon credits, emissions reduction feels like, such a maze. I barely have time to go through this maze um, and look for myself in terms of what are my options? What's the best option for me? And am I getting credit in the best price for doing those practices? Um, So therefore, this is how Lasso came about. We wanted to remove the headache of additional paperwork um, and then provide clarity on, you know, what counts as emission reduction projects and how you as a farmer can get paid for it. Um, So, you know, ultimately, just to summarize, like, and we'll get into, you know, this more, but based on your farm profile and your interests, our product and team at Lasso can find the right project for you, and then subsequently identify the eligible public and private funding opportunities for you. And so we will apply on behalf only with your express approval. Um, if that's something of interest to you. And so we'll handle the paperwork. We'll handle, you know, the maze of stakeholders to find you that best price and get you verified for your emissions reduction projects,
0: yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. And you're totally right about this maze of paperwork. and you know, even just running a business, even my own business, by the time it gets to the end of the day and I have all this stack of paperwork, I don't want to do it. You know, I just worked all day. Right. So so this is really, uh, really, really key, I think. And there's a lot of obscurity over how farms can make money leveraging carbon reduction. And uh, I think there's a, a lot of haze around it. So how does it really work? And can farms really make a profit altering practices and recording results?
1: So first and foremost, yes, absolutely. Farmers do have an opportunity um, with emissions reduction projects to have them not only profitable but as a major source of revenue. Mm-hmm. However, it's very important to note um, that there is not a one size fits all practice for all dairies in the U.S. And I think that's really important for um, so many people in this industry to recognize. I know you know producers and you know farmers know this already. But I think from a brand perspective, processor, even legislation, it's important to recognize the nuances amongst dairy. Yeah. So in Making that choice, it's important to take in, you know, the individual profile and needs of that farm. So, for example, um, in, in we were just in Idaho for the Dairy West annual meeting. Um, and then, like I said, you and I were both at World Dairy Expo in Madison, Wisconsin. Dairies in Idaho, you know, do more dry lots. Um, dry, and then in Wisconsin, they do more free stall barns. What that means, you know, tactically is that there's differences in what can you do with your manure, um, how easy is it to get the right type of manure, and um, consistency for an anaerobic digester. And so dairy, right, your finances, your farm size might say, yep, you're perfectly eligible for a man- like an anaerobic digester. However, the practices and how you take care of your herd differences, right, based on your region. I think another example is weather. And you and I were just talking before this about the different swings in weather across the country. So I'm currently in California. um, But as I mentioned, proud Wisconsinite. And I was just telling you before going back, I have to get out my big sleeping bag coat (laughs) this time of year, whereas here I can just put on a quick sweater because the reality is the seasons are different and the weather is different. And so what that means is your window of opportunity for cover crops is much smaller in Wisconsin than it is in the Central Valley in California. Um, Or even the hardness of the soil, if it's frozen um, from winter, um, I haven't seen frozen soil here in some time <laughs> in okay. California. I certainly have in Wisconsin. So there's just nuances there that are really important to take into account for those. So that's a long way of saying that first and foremost, before figuring out what's profitable for you, you have to take into account your size, location, and your practices to make the most financial sense for you. So then when we take into the account, um, there's three tiers then of how you can make um, money from these emissions reduction like The first is upfront you know, support. So this is to help you know, neutralize or lower the cost for a new practice you implement. Um, these are typically government grants that you will see. So for example, if I'm installing a solar panel, there are these um, REAP grants uh, essentially, that can cover mm, like most, if not all of the costs of that. Wow. So there's like an upfront piece that you can find support for. Um, the second bucket is ongoing revenue sources. Um, and that typically involves carbon credits. And we'll talk a bit more about those um, for what's called the tons of carbon dioxide equivalent that you are reducing on an ongoing basis. Okay. And so based on the type of project, um, and we'll explain in more detail in just a bit. Um, you can quantify, here's the number of tons of carbon dioxide equivalent that are being reduced on a monthly, on a yearly basis. And there's a dollar of value assigned to that. And so a company will pay for that to say, okay, this, you know, I'm claiming this reduction and paying the farmer for that work, for example. Um, the third finally is, Just in general, productivity uh, improvements are a lower cost base. So um, if you're doing an energy efficiency project or renewable energy, that ultimately in the long run will save you energy costs, um, even outside of external revenue sources, which is great. Um, If you're doing no-till for some farmers that that works there, you often have lower fertilizer costs um, and lower maintenance costs. Um, So that's just an overall improvement in your, you know profitability, right? Um, The final thing I will say, and I know this is (laughs) a long answer, but I want to give two tactical examples because I know, you know, having spoken to so many different producers and farmers is, okay, how does this pencil out? Can we talk about what this, what are the numbers? Mm -hmm. So let's take the first example, which I mentioned this a little bit before, but solar power. So if the average farm, let's say a farm has 300 head of cattle, um, this Solar installation will cost around one hundred fifty thousand dollars upfront. Um, farmers will qualify, like I said, for these REAP grants. That's R-E-A-P, um, up to twenty-five percent in loans for up to fifty percent of the total cost. So the out-of-pocket should be reduced to you know around thirty-five thousand dollars instead of the one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And we found that when you install solar energy, depending on the seasonality and sunlight, you um, gain $50,000 a year in energy savings. So it's a payback period of, you know, around three to five years. So that's one, you know, exciting example we've seen. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, and I, I mentioned this briefly as well, is no-till uh, farming. Um, the, they found that, and we found that costs are reported usually as half of conventional till grower, growers. And so there's no pre-emergent herbicide that's needed, no tillage passages. So this is for traditional crops like corn. Um, and then this is where you get to the carbon credits piece. That usually qualifies as, as a benefit of three to four tons per acre, um, or about $25,000 in yearly credits for a farm of, you know, yeah. you know, 450 acres. So um, there's examples of this all over. Um, we saw, like we all, we talk about one in Indiana that was working with um a company that has gotten yearly $50,000 from no-till. Um so the long and short of it is first you have to figure out you know what's best for your farm and then two based on that there is opportunities across upfront costs, recurring revenue and just overall productivity increases that make this profitable for you.
0: Right? Yeah, that that makes sense. And it's um a really interesting thing that you're doing and connecting all these dots in the framework, right? Because it's the framework that's scary. So matching producers to grants, how does, how does that work?
1: Yeah. So you first, like I mentioned in the, you know, previous answers figure out, you know, more about the farm profile, you know, what, where are you located? What's your size? What are some of your practices today? Um, based on that, we would identify these different buckets of practices that make the most sense for that farm um, based on financial impact, operational lifts and environmental impact. Um, the farmer then will say, okay, I'm interested or planning already to implement these practices. So we take that list and then we showcase them. What are you eligible for across, right. Like in private sources. The farmer then opt into, okay, I want to apply to this set of funding and get matched with this funding. And so they give us approval then to use their data to apply on their behalf. And so we fill in the paperwork. And then with the final review of the farmer, we will submit that and manage that process of kind of the, you know, tedious and, as you described, kind of back and forth of, yeah. you know, um, some of the little tasks there. And then at the end of the day, once it's approved, the funding will, you know, be back in the farmer's pocket, um, either upfront before that project starts or as the project is ongoing over over
0: that makes sense. And and what are the sources of the funding to support this?
1: Yeah. So um, like I mentioned, there's both public and private sources. Um, The first is public. And so when I say public, there's government grants. And so there's both local, you know, state and federal grants that help with on-farm carbon reduction practices. Um, And so there's a range of activities there, whether it's from energy efficiency, renewable energy, or some of the anaerobic digester work or even some of the cover crop no-tills. Um, it depends on your geography. And like I said, it's kind of a maze. Um, and the paperwork there is pretty tedious. So we help with both of those aspects there. The second bucket is private. And I would say that's even more, when we've, when we've talked to folks, it's even more of a mystery because right. it's not yet a fully set standard. Um, and when I say private, it can come from one within your supply chain. So who your buyer is can pay you a premium, for example, or pay you for your carbon reduction work. Um, it can also be a third party um, that can pay you that they're offsetting um, their emissions through your your um, emissions reduction work. Um, and so we have, you know, listed out kind of who are those buyers, for example. Um, and when they're looking for specific types of projects, we can match them with the farmers that are doing those projects.
0: Right. Well, interesting. And is there any is there any way for farmers to to choose between where yeah. the credits go? A hundred percent. So it's
1: completely opt in. of, And that that's actually a really important point is we want farmers to be able to choose where their credits are going right uh, in the past you kind of see their credits distributed out for them <laughs> so yeah. we had a conversation with um a dairy farmer in Idaho last week and he was saying he was starting a dairy digester project or an anaerobic digester and one of the buyers in his supply chain um like within it that wanted to do what's called insetting and claim that credit within their supply chain they wanted to pay them for that project however a oil and gas company also approached them and said, we'd like to you know, pay you for this project and take credit for offsetting, so outside of our supply chain. And so this particular dairy farmer wasn't sure what the implications would be, um, what's the best price there, um, and figuring out what's the like best terms that makes sense for me. Um, and so we helped navigate that as well and provide clarity of can they claim where their credits are going and what price they're getting? So the, you know, going back to the question on can a farmer choose, you know, where their credit is going, that is, you know, part of our goal, right? That you as a farmer can select where your credit's going and making sure that you get the best price um, for the work that you're doing,
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. And so in the industry, measuring the results and the progress of carbon reduction has not been streamlined, streamlined yet. You've already mentioned that. How can Lasso help solve that problem and try to put some structure to this process?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned before, a huge issue is with data. Um, So it's super fragmented. It's sitting across different systems on farm, if at all, today. Um, and so oftentimes when folks are trying to figure out, okay, what's my carbon footprint and what are my next steps, it's often relying on, you know, a life cycle and, you know, assessment analysis. And that's really static and often expensive and time consuming for, you know, a, an actual team to come out and assign everything. There's also, you know public carbon calculators, but you still have to input, you know, 50 different inputs every time. Um, To your question, as I mentioned before, um, there's a huge issue with data. Um, You know, it's super fragmented. It's sitting across different systems, if at all, on the phone. And so oftentimes in order to figure out what is my carbon footprint, um, it's, you know, a life cycle assessment analysis. And that's you know, static. And it's a kind of a one-time capture that this is what, you know, my footprint is, or this is what um, is happening on the farm, but it's also expensive. So it's not moving as you change practices on your farm. So every time you change your practices, there's a, a change on your farm, it's not reflected in, you know, your own data and your own right. um, footprint. <laughs> so then, um, you know, every time you want to use this data in this process of, you know, emissions reductions of figuring out what is my footprint? What's the best practice for me? Um, when I get that practice verified, I mean, you act like the verify when I say that is, um, someone else saying that proving out like, yes, you're doing what you're saying you're doing, right? Um, and then finding funding that for that practice, all four of those applications, you have to manually grab that data, input it, and then update that data. Um, right. And so it's just really difficult, especially if you're managing, you know, as you just mentioned, like, a, you know, your day to day operations of your farm. It's just busy. Right. I think the other thing, too, is like I've mentioned a couple of times, there's a maze. You're working with, in theory, a lot of different stakeholders here. If you have, you know, a project developer that's helping you install the anaerobic digester on your farm, if there's a verifier or a governing body, know, any of these different, you know, stakeholders that you want to share this data with. There's just like a huge hurdle there and it's quite slow. And so I think that's what in your question of what's, you know, hurtling some of the, the progress of carbon reduction. That is a huge one that we saw. Um, and so for us, um, we have a software platform right that will automatically collect that data, manage that data for you, and then use the data only if you want it to be used for these different applications. And so that means, right, um, what is your carbon footprint? What is the best practice for my farm? Can I fill in some of these application forms, et cetera, right? Um, And I think the final thing I'll say is that we would use both your own farm data, but then we'd also combine it with any project data that you have on farm. So we can work with external project developers that you're working with um, and helping you with your on-farm projects.
0: Right. Yeah. And I I see on the app um, that you have two columns representing both potential reduction and realized reduction. So what quantitative measurements are used to calculate those two fields? Yes.
1: So in terms of for the different practices, it depends there's a set methodology of how do you calculate what the ra- reduction is and how do you measure what that is. So the first clarification is potential is calculated. So if it's a you say, I'm going to do X practice, we can say then if you are, you know, going forward with X practice in theory, you should be able to reduce these emissions. Those inputs are often, you know, what does your herd look like? Um, what kind of feed are you and what amounts of feed are you um like feeding your cattle, okay. what are your freezing practices? What do your utility bills look like? So some of like the basic operations of your farm and knowing how that will change based on you know the practice. Realized reduction, it really more depends on those measurement methodologies. Yeah. And so sometimes it can be using just the data that exists on farm and sometimes it requires more of a physical measurement. So for example, with soil practices and um we we'll dive into in just a minute of what specific practices I'm referring to. But with soil practice, you might have to have a probe in there to measure some of the nutrients in the soil. If you're planting trees, you know, having um, photos of how many trees and what's the thickness of that tree to be able to make those calculations. And there, yeah, there are project developers out there that have innovative hardware that makes it less manual. But to clarify, we are the software that's stitching those data pieces together in using those data in applications right we are not necessarily having the hardware probes that are measuring actual
0: emissions um numbers on farm if that makes sense right. yep that makes sense and so what are some methods that that you'd recommend right away to reduce on farm emissions and then and then again how is that measured
1: yes yeah, so um first um like i said before the um practice depends on your farm profile. So we always say that because first and foremost, not, yeah. there's not a single source of truth for every single dairy farm in the U.S. Um, so there's four buckets of eligible projects that we look into for our farmers. The first is uh, land use and soil. So that includes silvopasture, which means planting trees on pasture land or grazeland, land, um, alternative grazing practices, virtual fencing, cover crops, no-till, and then alternative fertilizer application processes. Um, The second bucket is renewable energy, like I've mentioned before. Um, So solar, wind, and geothermal are the primary ones there. Um, That also would include energy efficiency initiatives that you can do on your farm as well. Um, The third bucket is manure management. So that can include anaerobic digesters, compost-bedded pack barns, solid separation or conversion, and then pasture-based management. And then the final fourth one, and this is a lot of, this is still on the innovation side and not yet at you know, market scale, but we we have partnerships with some of these players here, but around enteric fermentation, so some of the feed additives that are being developed there, you know, making sure that we're always up to date on what some of those practices are and what's readily available for our farmers. Um, you asked about measurement. So the measurement also depends on the practice. Mm-hmm. So each practice, there's a specific requirement, which we keep track of. So, for example, um, for implementing a renewable energy practice, um, you would just need to send a utility bill. Um, so the reduction of energy consumption that you can, you can basically see on that uh, utility bill. Um, and then you can track the share of renewable energy sources on your farm, which, by the way, for both of those, um, if your utility bill um, or you, your your information is housed in your QuickBooks or um, in an online form, we're usually able to pull that for you. So you yeah, don't have to chart. Yeah. Um, and another example is right for silver silvopasture, um, the planting trees and graze land. Um, that's where you need more of the physical soil measurements, the tree thickness and tree count. Um, and so we will not, you know, be the ones that are like measuring the soil or the trees, but we can take any data that has been measured by, you know, a third party developer on those trees. Um, but we can store that data.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So what you're saying is if, if say a farm, a dairy farm decided to switch out all their old light bulbs for led switch out all of their, their older fans for like core cool fans that are, that are more uh, energy efficient, then they would see that, that realized, um, Gain in just their utility bill, then that's really interesting.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, So, you know, we we include this in one detailed case studies that we're happy to share, um, and I'll share my contact information later. But um, we have more detailed case studies and can look into as well. And that's including the operational lift um, component. That when we share, hey, what practice makes most sense for you, you will see some practices are a bit easier in terms of proving out or measuring versus others are a bit of a heavier lift and so we note that as well so it's not just a financial calculation but how much time because time is valuable too right yeah. so how much time is it going to take to implement this and you know monitor this new product?
0: right okay so what what does it take to introduce lasso to a farm from beginning to end onboarding and beyond
1: yeah so um first and foremost and i'm sure i'll see my contact information at the end but please contact us if this is of interest to you and you want to learn more. Um, so we're at www.joinlasso.com. Um, and you can add your email there. And you can also just give me a call at 408-256-1098. Um, and what that looks like and what it looked like this far is, you know, we have a quick intro call um, and can also go back and forth over email, what's ever easiest. Um, but to understand what are your needs, and make sure that we can support um you in what you're looking for. Right. And so in terms of uh we we then essentially will go through what are the specific needs of your farm. And I've described this process before of how do we find them funding. And so it's this assessment again um to then figure out what's the best practice for you um and find then eligible sources to match them And so it's this kind of hand in hand process. Um, as you mentioned, you know entrepreneur in this space. And so the product that we have now is that beta product that we're using. And so right now it's actually less software than a lot of, you know, on, you know, one-on-one support throughout this entire process for you. Um, And as you're, you know, we're, you know, have the the service and continuing to work with farmers, we're also continuing to automate each piece with software. So it only will get easier over time. Um, And so what that means is we'll give personalized attention to every farmer that we work with. Um, so you'll be working with a human, us, <laughs> the entire, yeah. and so we provide that full service across what I described. So you don't do, so that's how it works now. And so it's really just as a like reach out basis. And so we are actively taking customers now and figuring out how can we, you know, best support you and make sure that there is a fit and that is, there is interest, um, in learning more about these practices.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. I really like the human element. I always like the human element. <laughs> so, so what do you do with all the data that's collected, and is it is it safe? That is a number one priority for us, and it's a
1: question we get all the time. Your data is securely stored with us if you give it to us, right? Um, with the most advanced data security measures. So we use industry standards, and so that we're not you know doing our own way. Like we follow. Um, authentication, encryption, and storage um, practices to make sure your data is safe. The second key point is your data will only be used or shared on an opt-in basis. So like I mentioned, we will only apply for an application, figure out your carbon footprint, et cetera, when you as a farmer say, please help me with this. I give you my express approval. It's an opt-in basis. And so what that means is, let's say you work with your veterinarian um, or nutritionist or, um, you know, someone else on the farm that often works with your data. Um, and so you're not the only one that is, like, handling the data and want to work with us. If you give us – if you say, hey, my veterinarian can have access, um, these other important stakeholders on my farm can have access, your data is yours, so you can choose what to do with it. And so well, we can get access to other people if you if you want to, Um, But you can also not. And so it's up to you. And that's a really important
0: point to us. Yeah, for sure. That's that's comforting. And there's one issue that really seems to be a hurdle in in the industry, and that's this greenwashing trend. So some producers don't want to support greenwashing in any way. They live by their values. They are good stewards of the land. They are doing these making these changes on their own um, and and maybe have for years and they don't want to be part of a movement that could actually lead to restrictive farming methods and that could even then potentially lead to government mandates as we've seen around the world now. So what do you say to those producers?
1: One, we agree with you 100%. So part of the reason that we exist, and when I talked about why did we start last, so what was the drive behind this, is that we exist to use high-quality and accurate data to avoid decisions being made on bad data. Um, and above all, give credit because then we have that data to the dairy farmers that are doing the good work um, as you describe these good truths of the land. So what we've seen in this topic is that the main issue is that when these you know, claims are not proven, not quality or you know, vastly overestimated. And so for example, if there's a you know a non-existent forest that's being sold as like a, you know, offset or some of these carbon programs and there's maybe a potential like multiple buyers. Um We want to fix that by having proper data and having those high quality, tangible reductions. Um, and so it's, for us, it's a reminder that so many farmers are doing the good work um and they know it better than anyone else. And so, you know, we want to make sure that everyone knows and more importantly, pays pays the right price for it as well. And so we think, you know, what you describe in terms of um, policies, legislation, it should be made like these decisions should be made on better data, um, because if there's misinformation or just a disconnect between what's actually happening versus what people think are happening, um, I think data can actually be a big tool for that. Um, And so that's our intention in this um, as well. um, So that there's less misinformation and higher quality um, credit for producers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. And uh, I have one last question for you. Why do you personally serve the ag industry? You got into this a little bit before, but what is your greatest passion in in all of this?
1: Yeah. Um, So like I mentioned last week, we were in Boise, Idaho for the Dairy West annual meeting. And um, I stepped away from our booth to attend a panel on sustainability. And so three different dairy farmers were talking on that panel. They each had to answer the question, what does sustainability mean to them? Because the main point is we hear a lot of different definitions of what sustainability means, and often not from the producer, right? And the one that stuck out to me was that his grandfather, he farmed with his grandfather, he found with his father, and that to him, sustainability was being able to pass on his farm to his kids. I um, mean, he flashed a photo up of, of his kids and then hopefully to their children. Um, and there was just a lot of emotion there. And I think at the end, it just like really emphasized the point home that there's a lot of increasing pressure. And there's kind of the sentiment that this is here to stay talking about you know, on-farm emissions reductions, but at the end of the day, it has to make financial sense. It has to be financially sustainable so the farmer, you know, can pass on their farm to future generations to come. And so for me, I mentioned this before, but this area is a win-win situation for me. And this is the quote around for generations to come. On one side for climate, right, if we're, you know, continuing to treat our planet well um, and, you know, take care um, of the land that we we're on, um, that's legacy or that's sustainable for generations to come. On the other hand, if you can make more financial sense of these new practices and even can up the revenue that, you know, producers have from doing these practices, that's financially sustainable for generations to come. You're setting up the next generations for success there. And so, bridging this gap between consumers and producers, and aligning, you know, incentives um, from this financial and environmental perspective. So, the final thing I'll end with is my parents' lifelong philosophy has been to serve others, um, and that's really guided me my whole, you know, life and career. And for me, if I can support, you know, a farmer to find the best practice for their farm at the best price, and get the recognition that they deserve for doing that, so um, improving both the planet that we live in, and the farm that their family owns, to me, that is success. Um, and that's my passion um, there. So
0: that, that's awesome. There is that, that kind of crossroads of, of, you know, balance of taking yeah. care of the land and taking care of these families. And I think that's awesome. So thank you so much for joining me today. What a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Chrissy. This is great. Yeah. And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want to learn more, the links are provided in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, or Egg Fuse. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Egg Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanEgg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthamericanEgg.com. Thanks for listening. Our newest podcast by North American Ag is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the ag brands you love and the ag brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. FastLine Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? FastLine Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted FastLine for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy... You can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. FastLine Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit FastLine.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the FastLine Auctions platform, July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to NorthAmericanAg.com slash FastLine webinar. That's NorthAmericanAg.com slash FastLine hyphen webinar to register now.